0: We're in 1 Peter chapter 4 today, 1 Peter chapter 4, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 12. We've been walking through 1 Peter this morning, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse number 12, and just talking about truths for trials, truths for trials. And uh, this weekend, again, is a special weekend in the life of our nation, and uh, Memorial Day we celebrate our nation, and we remember uh, the price that's been paid. You know, unfortunately, when you're talking about these holidays, uh, Memorial Day being one, it's, it's, it's almost become just a reason for a cookout or just a reason to travel. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, a high price has been paid for our freedoms, and I'm grateful to God for our nation. Uh, it's a shame where we are today, uh, that we've come to a place where it's almost an embarrassment to be called an American, but I'm telling you, I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful to God for the freedoms that we have to celebrate this morning. And I pray that we take advantage of those freedoms, and and so I'm grateful. Uh, So I want to just encourage you as family units tonight, tomorrow, take time. Uh, to celebrate with your family and to thank God for his uh, hand of blessing upon us. And God, help us, help us. Uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God bring revival to our nation because we desperately need revival. And I'm not talking about in the rest of the world. I'm talking about in the church, to revive the church because you can't revive what's not been vived. The, the world needs an awakening. The church needs revival. And God, help us, God, I pray for revival in our nation. And uh, this morning, just talking about, Peter's been talking, he's been writing uh, uh, to the church, and he's talking about times of persecution. And uh, when you look at where we are today, uh, we are beneficiaries of blood that has been shed. Uh, there have been martyrs. In fact, in fact, even today when you're talking about Christians, uh, uh, there are tens of thousands of martyrs. Hard to track exact numbers uh, when you're talking about martyrs for the faith, martyrs for the cause of Jesus Christ. Uh, people who have laid down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, or had it taken from them, and uh, and so today I pray that we would be found faithful uh, to the end, come what may, in our life. When you're talking about uh, the difference being between between nations that go to war, uh, Christians have the world turn uh, and and bring the war to their front doorstep. And uh, God help us to be faithful when those times happen. In our life, and so this morning, <clears throat> I'm just thinking about uh, uh, and praying that God would speak into our life. I think about the greatest opposition in the life of the church. In fact, I was reading, so we're in verse number 12 through 19. But before I get in there, uh, so so here's here's one of the one of the struggles we have as a church. It's just it's not just the. The the battle that happens on the outside. I think some of the greatest struggles that happen to believers, uh, to the righteous, come from religious. In other words, there's a difference between righteous and religious. And I think that some of the greatest struggles that we face today in our nation, especially, is between uh, the religious and the righteous. What's the difference between the religious and the righteous? Well, the righteous would be those that would say, hey, I want to be obedient to the Word of God. It's God's way and not my way. The religious are those that would say, hey, I want to do it my way, but I want the blessings of God upon that. If you want an illustration of that, what's the difference between religious and righteous? It goes back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, you have the story of Cain and Abel. Do you remember the story of the two brothers, Cain and Abel? Abel brings the sacrifice to God of the first uh, 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 of of his of his livestock, and he sheds the blood, and it's and it's honoring to God Almighty. And Cain brings just some of the fruit from the ground because he had determined in his heart of hearts that hey, God will just be pleased whatever I bring to Him. He was religious. He was planning out his way to please God, and as a result, what happened was it it, it awakened it awakened the conscience. In fact, it brought him much jealousy in the life of Cain to the extent that he even went on to kill his brother and that still happens even today in other words there's a struggle that happens not just uh, with what happens inside the people of God but some of the people of God that aren't really people of God because they're just religious people and not righteous people and so God help us to be faithful come what may there's persecution always has been always will be comes from a lot of different sides and so God help us to be faithful when it does come so in first Peter chapter four beginning in verse number 12 He says, here's some truths for trials. Whenever you face them, they will come. Here's some truths for trials when you're in the midst of it. The Bible says in verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler... But if anyone suffers, as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing What is right. And so this morning, just talking about truths for trials. When you're looking at this passage of Scripture, particularly, uh, he's writing to recipients who understood what persecution was all about. Uh, when we look back at history and we see what's happening in the world and what's going on in the life of this early church and in the life of the early believers, Nero, the Roman emperor, set Rome, the city, on fire. And it backfired because the, the, the inhabitants of the city got ticked off, and so he needed a scapegoat. Who's to blame for the devastation in the city of Rome? And so he turned and he, and he shined a spotlight. He said, well, it's those Christians. It's that sect of Christians those believers. And so there was an onset of persecution against the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Rome. And so they scattered all over the countryside. That's the recipients of this letter. In fact, the historians would describe the time of persecution and the atrocities that were taking place. And, and, and the way they described they said this. They said, you know what would happen oftentimes is they would take believers and they would wrap them in, in skins of animals and, and, and they would stitch them together and throw them into the middle of dogs and let the dogs maul on them. They would take them and they would impale them. They would dip them in pitch, light them on fire, use them as candles in the gardens. Believers, believers. What do you do and how do you respond when you're faced with such great persecution? What are you supposed to do? And that's to whom Peter is writing these things. He says there's a way to respond to persecution. Here's some truths for the trials. Number one, number one, Expect the suffering. Expect the suffering that comes into your life. Beloved, do not be surprised. Uh, Beloved, uh, just simply a term of endearment. Uh, He's saying, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you, for you're testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. You know, it's interesting when you're reading through the New Testament, because I really don't. I would love to have conversations with some pastors that are preaching the prosperity gospel. In other words, there, there are some people, there are some people who are embracing some people who are teaching, in fact, that, hey, as long as you have Jesus Christ and as long as you have faith, the sun's always going to shine. And that's not true. That's not taught in the New Testament. That's not taught in the New Testament. They didn't experience that in the New Testament. It's not taught in the New Testament. So don't believe that much of hogwash. Somebody starts preaching that, just know that he's a liar. The truth is not in him. Y'all all all right with that? God help us. It's a popular theology because it all sounds good and it feels good, but the problem is it's not true. In fact, the Bible says several places about the persecution that you can anticipate and you can expect along the way. It's not that I'm looking for suffering. I'm not looking to suffer. But if you're looking to live for Jesus Christ, the suffering will come. I don't have to look for it. It will find me. John 15, verses 18 through 20. John is writing, and he says this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world uh, would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the the world hates you. Remember uh, the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will keep yours also over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 12 the apostle paul is writing 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 12 indeed all who desire To live godly in Christ Jesus Will be persecuted In other words I believe that the key there Is all who desire to live Godly in Christ Jesus You know there's a problem With the church today and the problem with the church Today and church people today is we Want to live worldly and not godly And as long as I'm living worldly And I'm going with the flow Of the rest of the world then I'm not going to Experience a whole lot of backlash I'm not going to experience a whole lot of persecution But if I'm desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, expect it. It will happen. Don't be surprised as if something strange is happening in your world. That's the world in which we live. When you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, when there's a passion to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be outspoken about my faith, then what will happen is, hey listen, the world will come against you. I mean, there's, don't be, hey, don't be surprised when we have professional athletes that are willing to come out of the closet and we celebrate them because they're coming out of the closet. But yet you have someone like a Tim Tebow that says, and by the way, I'm not here, he's a Florida Gator, but I'm just simply saying he's a Christian brother. He's a Christian brother. There's a reason why there's so much backlash coming against him. It's spiritual warfare. That's why. You all All right. It's kind of quiet this morning. God help us. What do we expect when the world comes? Against us, you know, when you're talking about the perspectives, there's two different perspectives when you're talking about suffering in this world. Uh, uh, there's the perspective of the world, and uh, why does the world see see the persecution against Christian? How does the world see the persecution, and why does it happen from the world's perspective? Well, from the world's perspective, it's simply this: it's it's a sleeping conscience being awakened. It's a sleeping conscience that's getting awakened, and when you awaken to sleeping conscience, you know what happens. Sometimes it's grumpy. And that's, and that's what happens when a, when a believer is living with a passion, seeking to live godly in Christ Jesus. You're awakening a conscience in the rest of the world. It just happens that way. I mean, in fact, when you're talking about, you want a picture of that happening, here's what happens. It's not that you're looking for trouble, but John the Baptist, for example. John the Baptist, you know why he lost his head? You know why they cut his head off? Because he said, hey, listen, it's not right for another man to take another man's wife. It's sinful. Got his head cut off. He's just speaking truth. And, that's, and, and so Peter's just saying, hey, listen, expect it. Expect persecution from the world. But listen, the Word says when it comes your way, when it comes your way, it's for your own testing. It's for your testing. First Peter, back up for a minute just to chapter number 1 and in verse number 7. First Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so when you're talking about being tested by fire, what happens to us when we look at suffering in our life, when we do experience suffering in our life, we can look at it in a couple of different ways from the Word of God. It's testing us. It's purifying us. It does that to individuals. How does it purify an individual? Persecution. How do trials purify us as individuals? I'll tell you what it does for us. It helps us uh, 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 maintain proper perspective in this world. It helps us maintain proper perspective. What's really important to me? How do I want to spend my life? How do I want to invest my days? What's really important? Is it worth living for? And so it pu- purifies us as individuals. But i tell you another thing that happens with persecution is this. It, 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 when you're talking about the church, When when you're talking about the church, it purges the church collectively. That's what happens to the church. It has a cleansing effect on the church. Why? Because everybody comes when it's popular. Everybody comes when it's fun. Everybody comes when we can come and experience it and not worry about any persecution that comes your way. Then it's like, wow, everybody, anybody and everybody wants to be a part of that. But what what about the times when persecution comes? Then what? It, it, it has a purging effect. First John chapter 2 verses 18 and 19. 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour. In other words, it's, it's, it's the last days. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. In other words, when the difficult days come, sometimes people go. In fact, it's not just persecution. Isn't it interesting? Hey, isn't it interesting how oftentimes people, when difficult times come into their world, when difficult times come into their life, it's like they'll say, man, I just, I'll be back one day. And they just kind of leave the church. They just kind of escape the church. Hey, listen, that's the time you need to be in the church. Man, when you're in the midst of trials, when you're in the midst of difficulty, that's the time that you need the church more than ever before. You need brothers and sisters to come around you. You need to experience God's hands and feet during those difficult days. You don't leave during those times. God, help us. Just understand and expect there will be difficulties. We're living life in a broken world. There will be difficulties And we can expect them to come. But he takes it a step further in verse number 13. He says, not only expecting it to come, but exult when it does come. Rejoice when it does come. That's an interesting way to look at difficulties and trials and persecutions. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What he's saying is simply this. Hey, it's it's proof of your salvation. Praise God for that. Praise God that he entrusted you with his Holy Spirit. Difficult days will come. In fact... Peter is speaking out of his own experience here. When you're talking about the life of Peter, Peter is, he's speaking out of his own experience back in the book of Acts. You remember in the book of Acts where Peter goes and he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jewish people and they took him because they didn't like what he was saying and they, and they gave him 39 lashes. They beat the tar out of him, threw him in jail. And then the Bible says in Acts, over in Acts chapter number 5, when you look at the life of Peter in verse number 41, Acts 5 in verse number 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. How or why does he say that we should exult in the midst of persecution? Persecution. There's several reasons for it. Verse number 13 begins, and he says this. Because you're sharing in the sufferings, there's intimate fellowship with the Father during these dif- dif- difficult days. You know what he's saying? There's, there's a special grace. There's a special sense of the Holy Spirit of God that you encounter when you're in the midst of difficulties. You ever look at a believer's life and you say, how in the world could they do that? One answer. The Spirit of the living God rests upon them. He gives them what they need in the most difficult moments. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verses number 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses number 9 and 10. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, he's saying there's intimate fellowship. Why can we exalt? Because there's something that you'll experience there that you won't experience when life is honky dory I mean, it's a picture, really. It's a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, over in the book of Daniel. When you read the book of Daniel and and you read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And remember King Nebuchadnezzar over in Daniel chapter number 3 looks in the fire and when he looked in the fire he said, Hey, didn't we bind up three of those guys? But how come I'm looking in there and there's four in the fire? Because there's another in the fire. We just sang about that song. There's another in the fire. The Holy Spirit of God, Jesus himself, is there. There's intimacy with God in the midst of difficulty. And he just meets you in a special way. His grace is sufficient for his power is perfected in the middle of our weaknesses. And so for that reason, we can exalt in Jesus Christ, number one. But also exalting in Jesus Christ because of the future glory with him. Because of the future glory. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Why? What is happening? What's he talking about? Here's what he's saying he's saying, hey, listen, because for the believer's sake, this world is not all there is. And what he will do with my suffering is he's not, sometimes he won't take it away, but he will transform my suffering. How does he do that? Well, he explains it in the Gospel of John. How do you transform suffering into joy? In the Gospel of John, he says it this way. Chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. The Bible says it like this. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will grieve. Hey, but listen, but your grief will be turned into joy. Who? who whenever a woman... As in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen. In the midst of your difficulty, you just know that he will take and transform. And he uses an illustration. He uses a picture, a picture of a woman giving birth. And although I've never experienced that, I've seen it. And I know this to be true. There's great, there's great pain. But as soon as that baby gets birth and that baby gets laid on the mama, the mama forgets all about it because of the great joy through transformation. I mean, that which caused the great grief brings such great joy. You know, I, I, anyways, I'll keep moving. I'll start speaking of things about which I know not. But in verse 14, he goes on and says, here's here's another reason. Because of the fullness of Jesus Christ, why do we exalt in the middle of difficult days? How is it, how is it and why is it that we can exalt? Here's another reason why. In verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, in the midst of it all, in the darkest of your days, the light of Jesus Christ is going to shine incredibly bright. In other words, it's an instrument, it's a tool that God can use in you and through you. You want to, you want to see some, some illustrations of that? If you go back to Acts, Acts chapter number 6... And and, and, and in Acts chapter number 6, we read about the first Christian martyr, Acts chapter number 6, and Stephen. And when Stephen is being stoned, you know what happened? When Stephen is being stoned in the midst of his stoning, the Bible says in Acts 6 and verse number 15, it says it like this. It describes him, and it says, And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. What was it? I'll tell you what happened is they saw Jesus Christ. That's what they saw. They saw the Spirit of God on him. And it's amazing what God can do. In fact, when you look at that story in particular, you read the rest of the chapter, you read before, you read after, and what happens is Saul was there at the present, at the stoning of Stephen, Saul. And Saul saw what took place with the stoning, and he was he was there and, and and I believe it was through the sweet spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God upon Stephen that Saul was converted, although he saw Jesus eventually and Jesus changed him, I believe he used he used Stephen in the midst of it in fact it's it's, it's, it's a powerful hand it's a powerful tool in the hands of God when you're talking about living supernaturally, that is not supernatural what we 're talking about today I, It is supernatural. It's not natural. What we're talking about today is not natural. To live life with a spirit of forgiveness when you're in the midst of persecution, that's not natural. But you know what? It's powerful. In and, and, and fact, in fact, I was reading through the book of Acts, and you can read. I, I would encourage you to go back and read through the book of Acts. I've been walking through there with our the college kids on Sunday nights, and as we walk through there, you can see where there was great persecution. In fact, when you look, uh, I, I read about Paul and Silas just the other day. Paul and Silas, when they went to Philippi, right? They go to Philippi, and they preach the gospel, and there again, they beat them. They beat them and put them into stocks. Remember the story? They locked them up in stocks, and there they were in the middle of the jail, and they began to sing praise praises to God in the midst of it. And that night, there was a prayer meeting, and the Holy Spirit of God came, and it shook, it shook the prison walls, and the chains fell off, and the stocks broke open, and there were guards that were there. And the way the story goes, remember the story? The guards there, and the guard, although there were sights and sounds that were powerful and overwhelming, He's going to take his life. And Paul said, hey, hey, don't harm yourself. We're still here. We're still here. And you know what the prison guard did? He said, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? You know what it was? It was the powerful testimony of the saints of God... Living supernaturally. That's what it was. And and so their suffering was turned into joy when that man and his family came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it, it was costly. It was difficult. But they were empowered and enabled to live supernaturally. And that's what Peter is saying. Peter saying, expect difficult days. They will come. Don't be surprised. Like, what am I going to do? They will come. But when they do come, just know they're coming because of Jesus Christ. And so it's a verification of your salvation. Praise God for that. But in the midst of it, I know this. I know that the Holy Spirit of God is never going to leave me. And he's never going to forsake me. And his grace is sufficient for me. For his power is perfected in my weaknesses. And so I'm thankful to God that he enables me to do what he calls me to do. And I can exult in the middle of my suffering. But then he says, make sure you're examining your suffering, No, Verses 15 and following, examine your suffering. Make sure it's not because you're acting the fool. I mean, that's kind of what he says. He says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. And by the way, isn't this interesting? Isn't this interesting? Do you know who he's writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. Okay? Remember, because he says make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. You say, why, why are you making the point he's writing to Christians? Because sometimes we say, there's no way they can act like that. Yeah, you can. All of us can, all of us can be stupid. We can. God help us. And he says, make sure that the reason for your suffering is not because you've sown a bunch of wild oats, not because you've gone out and been hateful and wicked and foolish, because you can expect suffering to come. He says, don't suffer because you're a busybody. Troublesome meddler, what is that? That's a busybody. What's a busybody? Got to tell everybody else what they need to be doing. Always into people's business. This is what you need to do. God help us. God help us just be faithful to him. So he goes on from there. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, then what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So three questions in the midst of my suffering. Three questions in the midst of my suffering. Number one, am I suffering because I'm living faithfully for Jesus Christ or because of my foolish actions? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Why? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Have I welcomed it? Have I brought it on because of my foolishness? Or is it because of my faithfulness to Jesus Christ? Number one. Number two... Am I glorifying God in the midst of my suffering? Verse 16. It's a question you gotta ask yourself. Am I glorifying? Am I seeking to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ in the midst of my difficulty? You know, because my my my, my old self, my nature that I struggle with still, it doesn't wanna live like that. I'm just saying, it, it doesn't wanna live like that. You ever gotten offended? You ever gotten ticked off? You ever been you know what I'm talking about? I guess y'all live in a bubble. Um, all of us have experienced these things, and, and and our natural reaction, our natural response, isn't well. God bless you and your family. <laughs> it's a struggle. God help me, help me to respond. God bless you and your family. Help me to glorify him in the midst of my suffering. Do I want to and am I glorifying God in the middle of my suffering? It's a great question we need to ask ourselves. Or am I just enduring it? God, get me out of this mess. Number three, am I seeking to win the lost? Am I seeking to win the lost? Interesting how he puts it here. He says, man, if, 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 if we're going to go through difficult days... What about people that aren't even your children? I mean, if if judgment begins with the household of God, what about those that are lost? What are they? If if we're going to go through some difficulties along the way, what about the lost people? You know, I think sometimes, if truth be told, we're more concerned about our temporary comfort than about eternal damnation for those that are persecuting. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, listen, you, yeah, it might not be right. It might not be fair. But remember the cross. I mean, remember, remember what I did for you. Remember the forgiveness that you experienced for me. And what about the lost? What about the lost? There will be people that will be eternally damned to hell if they're not saved. And sometimes we're quick to say, that's what they deserve. To which we must respond. So do I. So do I. Aren't you thankful today for God's saving grace? (laughs) That God demonstrated his great love for me, and God demonstrated his great love for you. Not because you deserved it or I deserved it, but that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ himself paid the price. He laid down his life and he's saying you do the same. You check your pride out and you do the same. Because in the midst of your difficulties, in the midst of your suffering, there is a world that's watching and they want to know do they have what's real? Do they have what's real? You know, anybody, Jesus said, anybody can love people that love you. The world does that. That's easy. But how about loving those who don't love you? That's supernatural. God, help me to live supernaturally. Examine the source of my suffering. Make sure that I'm honoring and glorifying God. And then finally, entrust my soul to God Almighty. The Bible says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, there's some times in life that I'm just not going to understand why. But he says, God does, and he knows what you need. He says he is the faithful creator. In other words, he's invested in you. You are special to him. He created you. He designed you. And there are purposes and there are plans that are bigger than what you can even begin to imagine. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. God has wonderful plans for you and for me. And in the midst of that, we're living life in a broken world. Expect the suffering to come your way. But God be glorified in the midst of that. Entrusting my soul. It's a banker's term. It's saying, hey, let me tell you something. You're going to get back greater than what you invested, I promise you. You might go through some difficulties today... But one day, we will see Jesus face to face, and it's all going to be over. What a day. What a day that's going to be to deposit myself into Jesus for his safekeeping. Let me ask you a question this morning, just a simple question. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you ever been a time in your life when you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? Because we're going to live life in a broken world, and we're all going to go through difficulties We're all going to go through difficult days. Some people say, man, if that's what a Christian has to deal with, good night, I don't know that I want that. Well, the fact of the matter is, we're all going to go through judgment days and we're all going to go through difficult days. But listen, when you're talking about life in this world, life in this world for the believer, for the follower of Jesus Christ, this is as close to hell that I'll ever get. Anything this world has to offer is as close to hell that I'll ever get. But for the one that's never followed Jesus Christ and called on his name, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever taste. And so I'm just encouraging this morning. God loves you and desires intimate relationship with you. If you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're in the midst of difficult days, in the midst of suffering. I want to encourage you, stay strong. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus want to pray for you what we're going to do this morning we're going to have a time of prayer and after we pray we're going to sing a song and then after that song I'll be down front we'll have others down front just to say hey if we can pray with you encourage you we're here for you you say I want to I want to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved you come this morning you come that's what your time is all about and so we're going to pray and as we do pray as we do pray I'm thankful to God for the privilege and opportunity that we have to be able to gather with brothers and sisters. And, uh, and, and this morning, I do want to sp- pray especially. Uh, uh, Tanner, I'm going to be praying for you this morning. And uh, Tanner is one of our young people. He's in the Navy, back on leave. His mother passed away just a couple of days ago on Friday. And, uh, and so I want to be praying for him as a family of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to surround him today. Uh, this is the place he needs to be. Uh, with brothers and sisters. And so pray over him, pray for him. And so you just stay right there, and we're going to be praying with you and for you, Tanner. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you, God, to be loved by you and to love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. And God, I pray... Father, this morning, for each and every person in this place, God, if there be those that have never been saved, that they would call on your name, that they would be saved, God. Father, I pray for those that are in the midst of difficult days. Some are in the midst of the fire. God, I thank you for your promises. God, that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And that your grace is sufficient. And Father, this morning, I pray for Tanner... God, that you would strengthen him, that you would comfort him. I pray for his family, God, that are around him. I pray that you'd strengthen and comfort them, God. Father, I pray that you'd help all of us to know, God, how do we comfort others as you have comforted us because you've been good to us, God? So give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding that we would be your hands and feet. God, we lift them up to you. God, please strengthen them today in a special way. Father, I thank you for this day. Continuing to pray, God, for revival in our churches and an awakening across our land. We need you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness, and thank you for this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.